All right, well, Father God, I just pray you speak to our hearts and you change your life, and our, that you change our lives. In your mighty name we pray. Amen. Now, I'm going to ask my children to sing a song for us, and then I'll lead into everything. You remember the song? Yes. Okay, one, two, three, go. You know, 
So many of us, we don't know how, how to start a conversation, how to begin. The Great Commission is to go tell the world about Jesus. I made a mention earlier, we're, you know, what's the mission field? The mission is to tell the world about Jesus. The field is where you reap a harvest. Part of that reaping the harvest is being ready for battle, being prepared for what comes at you, the questions that are going to be asked. Paul, Paul told Timothy as well, you know, to be prepared in season and out of season to give a reason, a logical reason for what you believe. Not just saying, well, I just feel that way. Because, frankly, that's not good enough. I was an atheist for over six years of my life. I got saved when I was 18. So all through my high school years, you know, I believe that we went from the ooze to you via the zoo. You know, I believe in evolution. It all came in through time and chance. Christians that I talked to, they couldn't give me a better explanation. But I believe that every believer needs to be able to give a viable explanation for what they believe. So I've got quite a bit of stuff that I'm going to try to cover because our basics, our boot camp, is Genesis. You know, if, if you destroy the foundation, the whole house is going to crumble. So Genesis is our basis. Jesus quoted Genesis. If Genesis is wrong, then Jesus is wrong. Jesus is the Lord. It's as simple as that. You destroy the foundations. The first Messianic prophecies were stated in Genesis. I also want to cover the fall. I also want to cover 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 11. So like I said, I've got a lot of stuff that I want to try to cover. But I believe it's the basics. See, the Bible says to put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything to stand. Stand firm then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. And I'm going to stop there, because I want to focus on that belt of truth. Again, what does the belt do? I'm wearing a belt to keep my pants up. I've also got my leatherman on there, my sword. See, if I don't put on that belt of truth, my sword's laying at my feet, and I'm not ready to battle. I'm going to trip, I'm going to fumble, because I don't know what I'm standing on. We all need to know that we're standing on the solid rock, the solid rock of Genesis, the solid rock of 1 Corinthians 15. First part of Corinthians, you made the, Paul made the boast. I claim among you to know nothing but Christ and Him crucified. So when he told Timothy that to uh, be like a good soldier, proclaiming the message that uh, he preached, he knew exactly this message, and we're going to get to that later. Again, we have the belt of truth is knowing the difference between right and wrong, good and evil, truth and deception. But there's people out there that say, well, I, I don't believe nothing unless science can prove it. Well, there's a whole bunch of stuff science can't prove. For instance, the scientific method cannot prove mathematics or logic. That the scientific method is presupposed by science. Mathematics and logic are presupposed by science. They take it as a given. It can't be proven. Minds and or consciousness that exists outside of our own. Again, you can't prove that by the scientific method. Science is observable. Testable and repeatable. That's what science is. And these, so far these things cannot be proven by observing, testing, and repeating. So minds or consciousness that exist outside of our own. Ethical judgments, what's right and wrong, and objective standards. Science, again, cannot probe that. Aesthetic judgments, what's beautiful and what's not. Again, cannot be proven by science. 
and even science itself cannot be proven by the scientific method. And that's just to name a few. See, I got right here a nice can of pop. According to the logic that I had up until I was 18 years old, I will tell you that this can of pop could evolve through time and change. Over millions of years, the aluminum alloy would then fill, would form. Through erosion and whatnot, rain erosion, a cylinder would then form. A top would then form over it. A tasty carbonated liquid would, through the acid rain and stuff, the chemicals would come together, fill that up, and then seal itself. Through more acid rain, it would then etch the words Coca-Cola and all the ingredients on this can of pop. Now, if I was to tell you all that stuff is true, in fact, you say I'm ludicrous, and I'm just playing with your intelligence, which I am. But, uh, you know, I was an atheist, and according to that standard, I did. You see, this can of pop, as complex or simple as you may look at it, is still incredibly simple compared to the human genome, to the human body. And a one-celled amoeba, there's enough intelligence in that one-celled amoeba to fill 1,000 copies of the Encyclopedia Britannica. And the only one in here in, in the sound of my voice that may not know what I'm talking about is the coda in the back because of intelligence nowadays. But, uh, the, you know, all the added intelligence is formed in that. You have to have almost 200 strands of protein to come together. And the odds of that happening is approximately uh, 1 in 10 to the 120th. Now, that basically means 10 with, 100, or with 120 zeros behind it. Anything that's greater than 1 to 10 to the 50th is a mathematical improbability. It just can't happen. Statistically, it cannot happen. And this is almost two and a half times more improbable to have 200 strands of proteins come together to help form this one single cell organism. Now, there's, we can all agree that whatever came into existence had a cause. Whatever had a beginning had a cause. My phone had a beginning. It had a cause. It was Apple. You know, I had a beginning. It had a cause. The church had a beginning. It had a cause. The universe, I believe, had a beginning. And we're going to hit the evidences on that in just a minute. And I believe the evidence had a cause. There's an acronym. It's called SURGE. The S stands for the second law of thermodynamics. Basically, what that means is everything goes from order to disorder. The evolutionists, they would have to believe that all the information ever to come together would have to come together in that single-celled organism because science has proven, the scientific method has proven that you lose the information over time. Therefore, you can't actually gain information. Plus, evolution has never been observed. You have the fossil record, which I'll we'll, try to get you to discuss later on. But evolution has never been, been observed. You, there's never been one species transforming into another. Nobody has ever been able to live with half a heart or half a lung. You know, that's half evolved. It just can't happen. It all has to happen at one time. Or you, or you could argue it all evolved at one time. The problem is, is that's no longer evolution. That's now creation. So, second law of thermodynamics. My feet are now getting sore walking back and forth. The second law is probably coming to effect. My mouth is getting dry. I'm about ready to open the can up because the second law is taking effect. I'm going from order to disorder. So speaking of which. <laughs> now the human surge. 
It stands for uh, universe is expanding from a single point. And this was observed in 1927 by Edwin Hubble. He observed a red shift and the universe expanding. The universe was moving literally away from itself. That means if you go in reverse order, the whole universe condenses to a singularity, a single point. And that would be the beginning of time, space, and matter. The R search stands for the radiation from the Big Bang, or the afterglow from the Big Bang. Or another word for phrase for it is for the cosmic background radiation. This was discovered by Kansas and Wilson in 1965. See, they, they thought that this red glow, was that the ship that they had found, was from droppings up from pinches and stuff on their satellite. Well, they had this. Excuse me, second, while I'm coming back in. But uh, they had they, they had all this, they thought that it was pigeon droppings causing this red shift on their instruments and stuff. They had their instruments all cleaned, the satellites and whatnot, and it remained there. Through further study, they, they discovered it was radiation left over from when God literally said, you know, let the universe come into existence. When God said God created the heavens and the earth. There's then the Gian surge. It stands for great galaxy seeds. The formations of galaxies that are found in these ripples in the background radiation. They were discovered in 1989 by the by the Kobe satellite. It stands for Cosmic Background Explorer when it took pictures of these ripples. These ripples were literally photographed. They were so so much impressed these scientists that uh, they said that they, they were literally looking at the machine marks of creation. Another scientist says that, they were, that it was like looking at the fingerprints of God. The formations of the galaxies that we live in found in this background radiation. And the E. It stands for Einstein's theory of general relativity, which demands an absolute beginning for time, space, and matter. Now right now, you know, we can still argue well, there may or may not have been a God. We, we can definitely argue to any believer that the universe had a definite beginning. Now science calls for about another five things or so, five requirements for whatever caused the universe to come into existence. They, that, that's called the first cause. And according to science, whatever caused the universe to come into existence had to be self-existent. That means it has to be around regardless of the conditions prior to the state of the universe. It had to be outside of time, space, and matter. Whatever created the universe had to be infinite and all-powerful. It had to be it had to be all intelligent to design the universe with such precision. When you look at this planet, the planet Earth, in the middle of the Milky Way galaxy, in the perfect place location of the Milky Way galaxy to observe the, the, the universe in the perfect location from the sun and uh, the moon the perfect distance, the single moon at that to allow the tides and stuff to work the way they need to be. The rotation of the earth being just, just right, going any faster life would be able to exist on this planet. Any slower life would not be able to exist. Any farther from the sun, any closer to the sun. Everything's so fine-tuned for life that we can grow our tomatoes here in the next couple of weeks we can start throwing them outside and see what we get. The, the universe was formed with such precision, and whatever created the universe had to be personal. Why? Because it created something out of nothing. 
See, an atheist or anybody that doesn't believe in God, they have to ask themselves and be able to answer to themselves legitimately, why is there something rather than nothing? We all need to ask that question. See, the Christians, you know, we have, we have the answer to that. So for everything we listen, that the science requires for an explanation, we find in Scripture, we find in our God. So basically, we're left with whatever could create the universe could only possibly be one of two things. It either has to be an abstract object, such as the number seven, but anything abstract can, can, cannot create anything. Because that's part of the definition of being abstract as an idea or a thought. Or an all-powerful spirit or mind. Well, John chapter 4, verse 24, the Bible states that God is spirit. We still haven't established that the Christian God is the right God. And the people are going to need to understand this because... I mean, many Christians here will claim that Allah and Yahweh, the Christian God, are the same God. Which, they aren't. Their, their uh, Quran talks about how Allah hates the infidel. Allah hates the unbelievers, whatnot. The Bible says, for God's love the world so much that he gave. So, this, so we believe in God. We believe in God. The, the God we believe... He had to be outside. He's personal. That's why he created us. He's outside of time, space, and matter. He fits us perfectly. So he that that so God being outside of time means he can be at all times at one time. He can be outside of space, which means he can be everywhere at one time. He's outside of matter, which allows Jesus, God, to be the Father in heaven and Jesus on earth. Now the Bible says, now I'm getting to Genesis. The Bible says in the beginning. God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. God saw the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. I'm going to stop right there. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In this case, the heavens doesn't mean the stars and everything. It just means the area around the earth. Because even an empty area is still literally nothing. So he created the earth, he created the space around it. The earth is formless and void. God separated the light from the darkness, which means the light he shines light here, the darkness goes to the other side of the earth. The first day. The second day, then he creates the atmosphere. He separates waters from waters. And there was day and there was night. And now on the third day, he's put all the waters to one place. That means just the opposite. All the land is also in one place. That is what we know as Pangea today, the supercontinent. That's why you find fossils the same, from the same dinosaurs on several different continents, because at the time before the flood, it was still all one supercontinent. Now, up to this point, if you want to argue the old universe, you can, but really the universe isn't there. The earth is there, and God is that light. On day four now, you have to argue a 24-hour period. You don't have a choice. Because on day four, God sent the stars, the moon, the sun, all into place to establish your days, your seasons, your times. The greater light to govern the day, the lesser light to govern the night. Then he created the plants. On day five, he created the water critters and the flying birds. Day six, he created animals. He created bugs. And then last of all, he created us. 
Genesis chapter 2 says, For man of his own hands, in his own image, he, he created them, male and female. Then he breathed his spirit into them. That is a decided factor. Not just that God made us in his own image, which makes us highly important, but we are important enough for him to breathe our spirit, or his spirit, into us. So that we can have a relationship with God unlike any other of God's creation. Remember, he's personal. He created something out of nothing. He just created the whole universe for us so that we can hang out with him. That's the whole point of the garden. The Bible says that God walked with Adam and Eve. They actually, for a short time, fulfilled their purpose. Unfortunately, all good things tend to come to an end. And the second law of thermodynamics tends to kick into place. So we went from perfect perfection to imperfection. Sometime during that creation period, the devil rebelled against God and wanted to elevate himself. When the devil decided that he wanted to elevate himself, that's when evil entered into this world, entered into creation. Sin hasn't entered in yet, but the rebellion was evil. That's why the angels, when they rebel against God, there's no redemption for us. But us being made in the image of God, being made that special, being made literally light bearers, which the devil you know, had the authority of at one point. God gave everything that he desired to us in making us in his image. So, they eat, so the byproduct of rebelling against God, because there is an effect to everything. God didn't create the evil. The effect of rebellion, an angelic rebellion, was evil. Just like the effect of human rebellion against God was sin. And since God put the whole world underneath of us to subdue so and manage, take care of the steward, that's our that was the first job was to be a steward, therefore the whole rest of the world received that curse. See, we have to believe in the young birth as well, because we just discussed the curse. Because if you believe in millions of years, you're believing that time, or sorry, you're believing that suffering, disease, and death all happened before the fall of man. And if you believe in millions of years, yeah, that, that, that works just fine for you. But the thing is, it's for us as believers, that's our foundation. You just, again, you can disprove Genesis, you disprove the rest of the Bible. The, the curse on man brought forth the death the disease, and the suffering, according to the Word of God. Well, the sin got so bad that uh, about a thousand years later, God had a great judgment. He brought a flood. Some people believe it's a fairy tale. I believe it's a fact. I mean, an atheist say, well, what evidence do you have? I mean, if there really was a worldwide flood, what would the evidence be? It would be billions of dead things that were buried in the rock layers that were deposited by water from all over the earth. Guess the only evidence that we have are billions of dead things buried in rock layers deposited by water from all over the earth. You find dinosaurs not scattered all over the place. You find them in certain locations. It's not because that was a dinosaur graveyard for millions of years. It's because that was high ground when the water was coming up. You find birds on the top and the top layers not because they hadn't evolved yet, but because they were still flying around and they hadn't ran out of place to perch. So they, so they ended up being the last things to drown. You find other birds like, a, like what we could consider a, what we would call a velociraptor. A hollow bone feathered critter that lays eggs. My, my dictionary says that, that's a bird. It's got hollow bones, feathers, and lays eggs. That's a bird. It's two and a half feet tall. It's not like in Jurassic Park where it's tall as me. 
A real velociraptor is 30 inches tall, and that's a big one. Okay. They were a flightless bird. When that water came up, their, their, their feathers got waterlogged, and they drowned just like everything else. That's why they're on the bottom layers. See, evolution, they, they, can't, they don't have the answers to this. The answer to, of an evolutionist is that these birds learn to climb, these critters learn to climb a tree, jump from branch to branch, eventually they evolve feathers, which eventually they begin to gain flight. Well, after jumping off the tree a few times, you think that the gene would be eliminated, and they stick up the ground and walk. But you gotta, you, gotta, you gotta look at the evidence. See, like, you know, Bob was looking at these pictures with the tree, the tree and the, the rabbit and stuff. Everybody has the same evidence. We just have different interpretations. So, I'm, I'm trying to give you the biblical interpretation, biblical view. And to hold on to my young day creation, uh, I would I, I even stretch out to an old earth, but I don't give you a uh, millions of year old universe. Because my Bible says the universe was created after the earth was. But I can, I can, you can argue the first three days, again, the sun and the stars are not put into existence yet. And that word young that we use for day, it can also mean a time period. But I believe the world was spinning. That's why there was night and day for those first three days. And I don't think God slowed the earth down or sped it up in that time. Uh, Moses wrote, Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. This is uh, Leviticus, or sorry, Exodus 20, verse 8 through 11. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do your work. But on the seventh day is the Sabbath day. The Sabbath is the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your sons or daughters or your male and female servants, nor your animals nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them but rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So either the same guy that was said who written Genesis was wrong, or he meant it was a literal seven days of creation. But again, I'll give the old earthers the first three days, but I really, because the sun, moon, and stars set the days and the time and the seasons and everything, according to day four, I can't give you anything more than the first three days. So we established now there's some kind of God that had to create everything. I think beyond a reasonable doubt in my opinion. I think it takes more evidence to or more faith to believe that there was not a God that created the universe and the earth up to this point than it was to believe that it all happened by random chance by accident. Basically, it would take more faith to be an atheist than to be a believer at this point. See, the Bible says that the fear of the Lord, in Proverbs 1 7, it says, Fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. That word fear is the strong word 3374, it's Europe. It literally means morally reverence. It doesn't mean to be afraid of God, it doesn't mean to respect Him. It means to morally revere God. So you would read it, the morally reverence of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Another way to put that is, the moral standard of the Lord. Or having God as your standard of morality is the beginning of wisdom. Problem is, even in the church, so many of us, we don't understand that. 
Basically, we let the world set our standard. So there's real more objective morality, even in the church, for so many people, for what's right and wrong, good and evil. So it's not against law, and it doesn't hurt anybody around me, so they figure it's good. But the, more, the moral standard, God being the objective morality of your life, is the beginning of wisdom. Is the beginning of true growth. It's putting on that belt of truth. If, if there's what's called the objective moral argument, and it basically says that uh, if God exists, objective morality has to exist, or just the opposite is true as well. Objective morality exists, God has to exist. Otherwise, if it's just a matter of opinion, one person's opinion over another, there's then that say that ethically speaking, there was no difference between a mother Teresa and a Hitler. But if objective morality does exist, that means Hitler was wrong and Mother Teresa was doing what was right. See, everybody can agree on the Ten Commandments one way or another. They may, they may or may not agree that stealing is wrong. They may think, well, stealing is not wrong. But when they're stolen from, all of a sudden, that comes up. And that's, now stealing is wrong. If they're lied to, they don't have to care if they lie, but somebody lies to them. Again, the objective morality rises up. If it's wrong, objectively, that means for everybody, God has to exist. The Bible says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That means that so they're unable to obtain no matter how hard you try because you've done that one thing wrong, that bad thought, that wrong action, that wrong word spoken, you're no, you can no longer obtain the glory of God. For which God? See, there's three main monotheistic religions. There's Christianity, there's Judaism, and there's Islam. Now, the major difference between the three is Christianity says Jesus rose from the dead. Uh, Judaism says Jesus stayed dead. And Islam says Jesus never died. So I'm going to focus on the proofs now that Jesus rose from the dead. Because if these proofs are real, Christianity is real. Paul says in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Brothers, now brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By the gospel you are saved, if you hold firmly to the words I preached to you. Otherwise you have believed in vain. For what I received and passed on to you is of first importance. That means they're not holding on to what he preached to them. As a fact, not as a fairy tale, but as a fact, then you have believed in vain. These people had believed in vain. When I was reading that, I was like, okay, well, what's the message? I want to make sure I'm believing. He says, otherwise you have believed in vain if you don't hold on to this message. For what I received, I passed on to you as first importance. Well, what does first importance mean? It means the most important thing. More than your tradition, more than habits, more than just simply going to church on Sunday or hanging out with a bunch of Christian friends. This is of first importance. That they needed to believe it. They needed to stand up. Remember, this is the same people that Paul says, when I preach to you, I come to know nothing but Christ and Him crucified. And this is His message. That Christ died for our sins according to Scripture. See, Christ 
It says that Christ died for our sins, according to Scripture. What, just as sin entered through Adam when he chose to basically make his wife an idol and eat the fruit so he could hang out with her instead of turning to God. You know, so sin had then entered the world. So redemption of the world came through one man. That was Jesus Christ, who lived a perfect life, a man born under the law, submitted to the law, and then died according to the law. But since he didn't break the, break the law, he was now able to die for each and every one of us. Had Jesus committed one sin, he'd be dying for his own sin. But as Jesus was God incarnate, at least that's according to the words, what the, what the Bible says. It was God made flesh. God with us. Emmanuel. But in order for we to know that, Jesus has to be true. He has to actually raised from the dead. He needs to get out of that hole. So anyway, it says that uh, he died for our sins. That means he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He was whipped and scourged. That scourging was about 39 laps with a whip that had bones and metal tied to it, so every time he smacked him that they cracked, they yanked it off, pulled the flesh back. He had muscle and bones and ribs exposed. When they hung him up on that cross, he literally had to die up there for our sins. The Bible says the punishment that brought us peace was upon him. That means what we deserved, he got for what we did. He who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. So when Jesus was then crucified, hung up on that cross, died. Every time he had to take a breath, he had to lift himself up so he would inhale. Scraping that exposed back onto that crucifixion. And as he exhaled, again, scraping that exposed back to say those seven times that he had to say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. You will be with me in paradise. It is finished, and so forth. That he was buried, this is significant because in all four Gospels, it was Joseph of Arimathea that walked up to Pilate and said, Hey, can have Jesus' body? He was a man of the he was a man of leadership, and he worshipped Jesus a secretly. But he made a secret known. When on the day of preparation he decided to ask for Jesus' body, handled his dead body, and put it in his own personal grave. Everybody knew where this grave was. Then there's guards that were put post in front of this grave to make sure that nothing would happen to the body. It goes on to say, and that he was raised on the third day. Let's, read, let's go backwards to the grave again. Because he was raised on the third day. These guards, had they not done their job, they, according to Roman law, would have had to face their own death for letting his body be stolen. The fact that they did not were not killed and the Jews said, I will, I will protect you. You start this rumor saying that the apostles came over while well, we fell asleep, which is punishable by death. That uh, and then they stole the body. The Jews then that is a rumor that still spread even today. Still, you know, a lot of Jewish people will claim that. But had that actually happened person that would have happened to those soldiers is they would have been killed. But they were killed. They were protected by the church leadership, by the Pharisees, Sadducees, the Sanhedrin. So you know that the body was at least missing. And for some reason, the Jewish leadership wanted to protect these soldiers and not just 
kill him, let his body be stolen. It says that he raised on the third day according to scripture. Well, why is that important? Because he said, I'm going to. This is the deciding factor, if he's really God or not. First people who saw Jesus raised from the dead, well, they saw an empty tomb, was a bunch of women. Well, a woman back then, their testimony was worth nothing. So it's just a simple fact that the apostles, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John specifically, wrote that down in their epistles, would actually hurt their argument more than help it. Because the, the testimony of a woman was basically worthless, it was mute. Next thing that happened was he appeared to those on the road to Emmaus. Then he appeared to the twelve. This is after that he appeared to the, then to, to Cephas and to the twelve. Why is that important? Well, first of all, Peter ran away with his tail tucked between his legs. And after he appeared to Peter, he became very bold. The twelve as well. They became very bold. And they actually died. They all became martyred except for John the Revelator. Who they only boiled in oil twice, trying to kill him and exiled him to the island of Patmos. But they were all proclaiming this one thing, that Jesus rose from the dead and appeared to them. That he died, he was buried, and he rose on the third day. And he said, I, he appeared to me. And they all died a martyr's death, proclaiming this message. Now there's people who die all the time today. You know, the suicide bombers we hear about. You know, so who's to say that they're right and these other guys were wrong? Well, the difference is, is these suicide bombers are dying for what they believe is truth. These and the apostles died for what they know for a fact is truth because they experienced that Jesus rose and appeared to them. To say that uh, they didn't believe that is to say that all 12 of these people died for a lie. And nobody in their right mind would die for a lie. Not, they did not die for something that you know is false. It says, after that he appeared to more than 500 brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Basically he said, if you don't believe what I'm saying, check it out. This statement right here would have disproved Paul's whole ministry. Just writing it down in Corinthians. If these people really weren't alive, he couldn't check it out. Then Paul's faith, he's a fraud. He just put himself on the line. You know, he hasn't been martyred. But he'll, he'll be martyred eventually because, as we will find out here shortly, Jesus appeared to him as well. It says, then he appeared, after that, he says, then he appeared to James. This is significant. Why? Because while James was Jesus' younger brother, while Jesus was living and alive performing his ministry, the Bible says that he thought he was out of his mind. He thought his brother was literally nuts. Next thing you know, big brother appears to him after, he's, after the tomb was found empty, and it all becomes real to him now. So much so that he became the leader of the church in Jerusalem, and again later died as a martyr, proclaiming that his big brother appeared to him in the flesh. And then he appeared to all the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me as when I'm normally born. For I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And the grace has, and the grace to me was not without effect. Well, that word again, grace. See, Paul, he had permission from the leadership to literally hunt down Christians and kill them. You know, 
He was an educated man. He wasn't foolish. He knew what was going on. I'm almost done. I'm sorry. But uh, he was a very educated man. He, he learned under Gamaliel. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. Of the tribe of Benjamin. And Jesus made himself real and appeared to him. And everything changed. Because I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it is I or they, this is what we preach. And this is what we believe. And I'm telling you guys right now, this is what I believe. That Jesus was real. That God is real. That our foundations are real. That there's no reason why we should doubt it. There's no reason why we should believe the lies that our kids are taught. Becky was given a teaching from Corbin here this morning, about, or a couple days ago, about how the universe was created according to our textbook. It says the sun was already there, and it was spinning so fast that the earth popped out of it. It cooled down, and that was the earth. That's pretty far-fetched to me. Perfect harmony came out of chaos when a piece of the sun exploded off of it? I don't think so. That does not happen. I've never seen a brick factory explode and create a building. See, I, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And I believe the evidence is there. The thing is, we have to decide, do we want to follow it? Do we want to prepare it? Do we want to go through the spiritual boot camp and literally love the Lord, not just with all your heart, not just with all your strength, not just with all your body, but also with all of your mind, to be able to give a logical explanation for what you believe. And to hold on to those truths, to those facts. See, there's people that may or may not in this building need to decide that they want to follow those facts and follow the evidences. And that's a choice that you each, each of you have to make. Are the evidences there? Are they believable? And are you going to follow them? Once you make that decision, are you going to learn them and understand them so that you can share with other people that they were actually created with a purpose and an intention to be known and known by God? You are all created for a purpose and for a reason. God loves each and every one of you. He came to die for your sins. And the world needs to know it. So, my challenge to you guys is get out there and do something. Share the truth. Start up a conversation. Look at a tree. Talk about how beautiful it is. And how that tree got there. And then lead, that, lead them to the cross. Talk about something natural, the beauty behind it, the, the organization behind it, the order, and how that all points to a creator. So we can all share our faith. It's all right there. So I guess that's about it. So I'm over myself now. So thank you.